I'm Chris Motes, and this is Faith in Politics. On this broadcast, we range from the soul to the state as we cultivate those virtues and explore those principles that help us live well as faithful Catholics in this great land. My guest today is Greg Schleppenbach, Associate Director of the USCCB's Secretariat for Pro-Life Activities and formerly Executive Director of the, the Nebraska Catholic Conference, my counterpart in that great state to our, our south. Uh, we're not permitted to talk about football in this podcast, uh, but otherwise, welcome to the, to the show, Greg. Thank you, Chris. It's great to be with you, and even though I'm not there in the heartland I, I think about it all the time yeah and it um it's it's kind of one of those things too where it's like you the old saying goes you take the boy off the farm but you can't take the farm out of the boy whenever i um make my typically annual trek to to dc to visit with my catholic conference counterparts and visit our delegation up and on, on the hill whenever i run into midwesterners um there's an immediate kinship where um i feel like i'm not far from home so yeah. our topic, our, our topic today, is um, is an issue that that is kind of near and dear to the hearts of a lot of our our, our wonderful wonderful pro-lifers here in the heartland. And the topic is vaccines, uh, which there's some some nuance to it. Before we get into the the topic at hand, though, I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind maybe just telling us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I'd be happy to, Chris. Um, so as I've already mentioned, I'm. Uh, a native Nebraskan. I grew up in northeast Nebraska, in fact, about 50 miles from Yankton. And so I know Gavin's Point uh, Dam and Reservoir very well. Spent a lot of time up there in Yankton and area. And um, so that's that's my home, born and raised in Nebraska. Um, I got involved in the pro-life movement um, largely, or at least was introduced to it through my mom. She was, I'm the youngest of 11 kids, and um, in my mom's free time in 1973 when Roe versus Wade was handed down, she started a Right to Life chapter in our community, in our county. Mm. And, uh, so I grew up with Right to Life meetings in our home and was introduced to the issue through my mom. Uh, when I went down to the University of Nebraska to college, I got involved in the Students for Life group there was president of it uh, a year or two, and then um, upon graduation, got involved in the local Right to Life uh, chapter in Lincoln, and um, through that met uh, a woman who was very involved also in Right to Life, and Nebraska Right to Life, and Lincoln Right to Life, and she happened to be on the board of the Nebraska Catholic Conference as well. And uh, when the, uh, the bishops of Nebraska decided to um, initiate a full-time a position with the Catholic Conference directing pro-life activities, the pastoral plan for pro-life activities for all three dioceses. And so that began my work in 91 with the Nebraska Catholic Conference as the state director of the Bishop's Pastoral Plan for Pro-Life Activities. And uh, so I did that for 23 years. And then um, the last couple of years uh, at the conference, I was executive director. And then in uh, 2016, I accepted a job out here uh, with the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, my present position as associate director. Um, um, I'm newly married, relatively speaking, uh, about seven years ago. My um, my wife was living out here in D.C. We were introduced by uh, people uh, we both know, a couple we both know who do pro-life work, and um, got married in 2013. She moved to Nebraska for two and a half years until we moved back out here for her, and not just for her, but um, she was very happy to come back out here to the DC area. And so I've been doing this job uh, as associate director, focusing mostly on um, 
federal pro-life policy now for uh, about a little over four years. Well, that's, that's a beautiful story. And I got to tell you, as you were telling me about your mother and these, you know, this, the formation of this county right to life group and these meetings in your homes, my heart just filled with, with warmth and admiration. Cause you know, we have a lot of our, our South Dakota right to life group is, is full of whom I would imagine to be uh, similarly passionate people and just warm your heart with, with their, their passion their warmth and care, and their their just consistent advocacy on what's an important issue. Um, so just hearing that that go all the way back to 1973, what a beautiful part of your own story. Yeah. So let's let's dive into the topic at hand, which is which is vaccines. We're in the midst of um, what some are describing as a worldwide pandemic. COVID COVID 19 kind of uh, stormed onto the scene um, like a Mack truck uh, for for many of us in in March. Um, I actually, March 17th, I took a, a day of recollection down at a retreat center and went to mass, which I didn't know it at the time, but it was going to mass for the last time for about a couple months. Um, I want to, in, in April, there was a letter that was published, April 17th. Um, it was addressed to the commissioner of the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, and it was signed by a number of Catholic bishops, uh, the bishop chair of the Committee on Pro-Life Activities, the chair of the Committee on Doctrine, uh, Subcommittee on Healthcare Issues, Committee on Domestic Justice, uh, along with a whole host of, of, of lay pro-life leaders. Um, for, for listeners that are maybe not familiar with uh, this letter, can you just tell us a little bit about it and like what the impetus for it was? Be happy to. So when um, things started really heating up about uh, the production of a COVID vaccine, um, uh, knowing what we know about uh, concerns with certain vaccines that has been around for a long time and their connection to um, being produced in aborted fetal cell lines, and generally, and we'll talk more about this, you know, our, our obligation to do what we can to move the pharmaceutical industry away from using aborted fetal cell lines in the production of vaccines. Um, this seemed a prime opportunity, um, you know, as they were developing vaccines and before they had actually developed one to do some advocacy, to raise mm. awareness about, um, you know, the concerns out there uh, by many, many uh, Catholics and pro-lifers about vaccines that have been around for a long time that have this ethical taint to them because they're produced using aborted fetal cells. So, um, so that was the impetus to say, all right, let's reach out to the administration, to the FDA, um, uh, raise awareness about the, the, this ethical concern. Um, we already knew by that time that there were some vaccines that were being proposed um, utilizing aborted fetal cells, and there were some vaccines that were being proposed not using aborted fetal cells. So we wanted the administration to know that there are a lot of people who are very concerned about this, and, and not only from an ethical standpoint, but from a, a public health standpoint. Obviously, if you want you know everyone to be vaccinated against this, this serious virus, you don't want um, unforced errors, and, and, and this could be one of them, to uh, actually produce a vaccine that a lot of people would have a problem in conscience using. So um, that was the reason behind the letter, to, to, to raise awareness about the, the, the issue itself, about the ethical concerns with you know, the production of vaccines using aborted fetal cells, now pointing out the fact that there are uh, some proposals now that 
are not using aborted fetal cells in their in their either their design or in their manufacture, and um, urging the administration to ensure that at least one vaccine, assuming that there may be multiple vaccines ultimately that cross the finish line, we want to make sure at least one of them uh, does not have a connection to abortion. So that was the the whole impetus behind the letter. And before we dive more into like the the, the politics and sort of the practical de- details of what's happening right now with the development of a COVID vaccine. Let's maybe take a step back into some of the, the teaching that the churches articulated. There's, um, there's this well-known statement, there's a letter and a statement in 2005. Um, if I recall, it's from the Pontifical Academy f- for Life. Can you tell us a little bit about, um, about that and what are some of the um, the, the points of moral teaching that we can take away from, from that statement. Yeah, so the, the impetus um, teaching or, or document from, it was, it, it, the question was placed to the Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith about um, vaccines that are produced in these aborted fetal cell lines. And the, the CDF um, asked the Pontifical Academy for Life to, to research it and respond. And so this was, even though the statement uh, the, um, actually came from the Pontifical Academy for Life, it was doing so at the, at the guidance of the direction of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith and on behalf of the CDF. Mm-hmm. So, um, as mentioned, there were there are at least uh, uh, three uh, uh, aborted fetal cell lines that have been around for some time. These are cell lines that were created from uh, the uh, cells of aborted babies. And these cells are that were then used, this was decades ago in most cases. In some cases, I think some might be made a little bit more, uh, more recently, but still uh, decades old generally, uh, that where these cell lines were created from the cells of aborted babies. And these cell lines, um, the, the, the cells can be sort of self-perpetuating or immortal, at least for a long period of time. So, and they, they are, a, from a scientific perspective, an easy, good, solid medium in which to produce uh, vaccines. And so they've been around for a while, and, 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 and you know, there was a lot of question um, back before the, the, the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith and Pontifical Academy spoke in 2005 about you know, the obligation of parents, you know, to vaccinate their kids and whether, whether our vaccines, whether there are no alternative vaccines that aren't produced in uh, these aborted fetal cell lines like rubella, chicken pox, for a couple of examples. Um, you know, the, and there was a lot of question about, all right, did they, are they ob- morally obligated to do the, use these vaccines to get into Catholic schools and other kinds of things? And so that was sort of the impetus asking the, the, the CDF for guidance because there hadn't been previously guidance. So this document for the first time provided some specific guidance on um, the ethical questions of the use of vaccines uh, that are produced in these aborted fetal cell lines. And there can be a lot at stake too. For those of us who had chicken pox as, as kids, we may not think of chicken pox being that serious, but some things like rubella, we know that if a pregnant woman uh, is infected with the rubella virus, it can be fatal to her unborn child. Um, and so there, there is a whole spectrum of severity with, with some of the um, illnesses um, that, that we're talking about when we're talking about these vaccines. And maybe just to, um, to reiterate a, a point that, that you've, or uh, a phrase that you've used a couple of times, when we're talking about um, 
a fetal cell line, aborted fetal cell line, we wouldn't be talking about a vaccine that actually has cells in the vaccine from an aborted fetus. But the way I understand it, correct me if I'm wrong, is that in order to develop the vaccine, we need a medium, like a cellular medium. And, and that medium is uh, a group of cells that has been sort of replicated and perpetuated through time in a lab, but that it originated with cells from an aborted baby. Do, do I understand that right? That's correct. And, th and that's a good distinction to be aware of. I think there's maybe been a little bit of confusion in the whole um, debate over the production of a COVID vaccine is that some, some have um, misspoken uh, or been inarticulate perhaps about what's at stake here. There, there are no COVID vaccine proposals out there that would actually use uh, fetal cells in the vaccine itself. We're only, we are talking about some of the proposals using these aborted fetal cell lines or mediums in which um, they, they, they create the, the vaccine. So the, the sort of tried and true vaccine um, uh, methodology is the live attenuated vaccine proposals. These were most vaccines, the type, of vac the, the type of method that most vaccines traditionally have been made, where they take the actual virus, live virus, and they weaken it or they kill it, and they use those cells um, and, and grow those cells in that, that aborted fetal cell line medium or another medium. Not, it doesn't have to be in that. Um, for the purpose of growing more of, of, of this, that these uh, 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 vaccine cells or these vaccine vaccines themselves that then are, are injected into people to produce antibodies to fight that particular disease. So they use the actual cells, this live attenuated approach uses the actual cells but deadens, weakens them or deadens them um, to be used in the vaccine and grown in these cell lines to produce lots of the vaccine. So that, that is a, an important distinction in this case. And, and maybe before we kind of uh, fast forward to present time with COVID vaccine and some of these uh, intricacies, can, you, can, can we recap what are some of the conclusions? Um, maybe we're repeating, but just for, because this can be some nuanced stuff. What are some of the conclusions that are drawn by the Pontifical Academy for Life in their 2005 statement that was sort of issued at the direction of the Congregation to the Doctrine of the Faith, so this very weighty Vatican office. Yeah, so what they, what they did, the analysis they did is to, to look at the principles of cooperation with evil. You know, mm. so, um, you know, since you're talking about a connection to these aborted fetal cell lines that were produced, you know, in some cases decades ago, the question was, you know, to what degree are the researchers that are using those those cell lines and, and the manufacturers who are marketing vaccines using those cell lines and people who are actually using those vaccines, to what degree are they complicit with or cooperating with that original evil of the abortion that produced the cell line? So they, they do a, a kind of an overview of the basic principles of cooperation and then from that, make draw conclusions about the, the, the different levels of cooperation, whether you are the, the researcher or the, or the pharmaceutical who's using these cell lines and producing a vaccine and then marketing that vaccine and then for the end user. So, um, so they apply those principles to each of those different uh, components of, of a vaccine. And just very basic, you know, uh, uh, if you think of, the, the question of cooperation as a, 
a, a, a tree that branches out into two different branches. You've got one branch that's formal cooperation and a second branch um, that is material cooperation. The formal cooperation, in, in, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm not a, an ethicist, moral theologian, so I'm speaking very, very basic language here. Sure. Formal cooperation is, means that you, you agree with the evil act. You are in concordance with that evil act. Um, in this case, the abortion. Formal cooperation, agreeing with, supporting an evil act is always illicit. It's always immoral. So that's, that's one branch of the tree. Formal cooperation, always immoral. The other branch is material cooperation, where you, you do not agree with um, the evil that uh, is in question here, but you are in various ways, in various degrees, cooperating with um, that, that evil. And in that, in this particular case, you know, material some forms of material cooperation can be um, illicit, um, and in some cases, not illicit. Certainly, um, in the case of material cooperation, um, you know, when it's immediate material cooperation. So now we're we're, we're we've got we've got material cooperation, which is again not agreeing with the evil act, but in some ways participating. And then there's to kind of keep going down this metaphor of the tree, yep. that material cooperation branch is branching out even more so into different types of material cooperation, all sort of describing various degrees of uh, complicity to, proximity to um, uh, that, that immoral act. So, um, so from the material cooperation, you've got immediate, which is you're directly in, directly cooperating with a particular act. Again, you're not formally agreeing with it. You're not you don't agree with that act, but you in some way are directly involved with that that immoral act. And mediate, which is more indirect. So again, they're they're fine tuning the different types of cooperation and yeah. degrees of of, of of proximity to it. And then you've got prox proximate versus remote, which fine tunes it even more so, like how proximate to the actual act is your, uh, your cooperation or is it very distant? And that, that distance can be in time, it can be in material uh, um, uh, contribution or, or, or whatever. So basically these are the various forms of, of cooperation that are, um, are, are reiterated in this document and then applied to this particular question of uh, these aborted fetal cell lines. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say there. There's a lot of the tree is is really helpful. There are a lot of terms, but I'm going to try and just for taking myself as the end user of a vaccine or maybe making decisions on behalf of my children. Um, I, I'm going to try and articulate and tell me if I've got this uh, right or wrong. But my understanding is kind of based on this um, these, this this moral explanation that's provided is that in fact there there can be really good reasons. Um, to use a vaccine, even if it's tainted uh, in its development by um, a fetal, uh, aborted fetal cell line. Nevertheless, um, I would still have a duty to, um, to advocate for the development of better vaccines. We could say that um, I have a duty to make an objection and actually uh, make my conscience known. And I, and I think the point is made in the statement too that it's actually under conditions of duress or coercion that I'm making that decision. 
um, so that, yep, okay, there are there's some really significant proportional reasons to undertake this vaccine, um, and it's it's permitted, but at the same time, I shouldn't be happy about it. Is that a fair way to, to sum it up? That's, that's pretty good. So that's, that's sort of the next step of, of this document is they, after they provide an explanation of the different forms of cooperation, they apply it specifically to um, three different um, categories of, of participants, those who actually make the vaccines, prepare, the, prepare them, those who participate in mass marketing of the vaccines, and then those who need to use them, end users. And so um, those who actually are utilizing these abort producing cell line, producing vaccines in these cell lines, you know, that's, that is per se immoral. Yeah. Um, and, and then in, in terms of the end user though, um, the, the, the conclusion is, is that it is um, very remote immediate material cooperation. So very far away and assuming that, yeah the end user doesn't agree with the abortion, that would be formal cooperation and that would be wrong. But yes. if the end user uh, does not agree and, and, and rejects the evil of that abortion, um, the end user's cooperation with that act that produced this cell line from an aborted uh, fetal cells is very remote, immediate material cooperation. So the, the bottom line is, is that the, and especially in cases where there are severe health consequences that would dictate um, uh, families using it. In the case of rubella, that was very serious. Obviously, COVID is very serious, potentially life-threatening. Um, that, that cooperation is so distant that, that one can, it can be justified in using uh, that, that vaccine. Um, but it, there's a qualifier in that we can't, the, the concern is, is that we can't be passive in, um, in, in the, the evil that is there. So while we can accept that in, in these circumstances of, of grave health consequences, we have a duty to speak out against it. We have a duty to speak to the, back, to the pharmaceutical companies, to our government, and et cetera. It's, it's very clear in this document, the duty of, um, of physicians, of parents and others to to put pressure upon the pharmaceutical and, and government entities to ensure that we don't have to make this choice. Yeah, yeah. Well, ultimately, that was the impetus behind us doing this letter to the FDA and all the advocacy we do to push uh, pharmaceuticals away from using abortifetal cell lines in the in vaccine production. And when I saw your letter in April, the the South Dakota Catholic Conference likewise sent a letter to the governor of the state of South Dakota, uh, Governor Kristi Noem is is pledged she wants to be one of the most pro-life governors in the nation. And so we just thought this is an issue that that is, it's important to us and, and based on the principles she's articulated, um, we think it's gonna be important to her too. Um, so, you know, and there's there's interest. This is something, as I, as I said from the start, this is something that people are um, interested and rightly concerned about, which maybe, you know, this all kind of begs the question, where are we at right now? Has the advocacy that's occurred in the past months um, has it produced any results? Well, we'd like to think so. Um, you know, we have made many um, outreaches to the administration in addition to this letter um, to the FDA um, to make sure that they are aware of this. And, and, and we've, we're, we're seeing some results. Um, I, we'd like to think partly a result of our advocacy in, if you look at the administration's Operation Warp Speed, which is their initiative to put a lot of resources, governmental resources behind 
uh, certain uh, proposals to that they think are the most likely to be successful in, in quickly producing a vaccine. And so there's eight different um, uh, vaccine proposals that are part of Operation Warp Speed. Um, I believe that uh, six of them, so six or seven of them so far have gotten funding. And of those, um, of those eight, five of those eight, uh, we believe based upon scientific analysis by, by science research and scientific experts that these five uh, of those eight do not, did not use aborted fetal cells in the design of the vaccine and they do not use them in the manufacture or production of, of the vaccine. And, and based upon that, we categorize them as ethical. Um, and those five uh, of the eight are getting more, more than three times the funding of the other two proposals that are utilizing aborted fetal cells in their production. So um, just by those numbers, we feel um, relatively confident that at least one of the vaccines that crosses the finish line uh, will not have the ethical taint of, of abortion with it. Well, that's great news too, because you know, so much of government's work is actually deciding how to, to spend money and you want to spend it on good things, not bad things. So just to see those funding decisions that are being made uh, are really, really important. It is uh, honestly just kind of great cause for hope that here, even here in South Dakota, we might end up with a vaccine that, that can just uh, help us feel at ease in our own consciences um, as everybody's very rightly concerned about COVID and, and looking forward to a vaccine. So that's, that's, that's good news. Um, you know, Greg, we've got a couple minutes re remaining here. Um, anything else you want to say or, or maybe, maybe even a word of, of what uh, Catholics in the pews can do? What, what can the laity do um, if they're concerned about this issue? Yeah, well, I would say um, one of the things that they can do is, is, is still take action. We did as a part of our letter um, advocacy to the FDA is we, we initiated a, um, an action alert um, uh, to the FDA where people can communicate a similar message to the FDA that we want a vaccine, a COVID vaccine that is not connected to abortion. That's certainly one thing. They can ed educate themselves on the topic, um, you know, and, and spread the word. I mean, unfortunately, there's just, just a lot of people who had no idea that there are vaccines being produced using abortive feed. And uh, so raising awareness of this. Um, yeah. Communicating like we are also doing now to Sanofi Pasteur, and we did a couple years ago to GlaxoSmithKline, when they produced, in, in the case of GlaxoSmithKline two years ago, they produced a, the first shingles vaccine ethically produced. And so we wanted to thank them and congratulate them and spread the word about um, this work so that they would encourage them to continue moving in that direction. Uh, we're doing a similar thank you campaign to Sanofi Pasteur right now because they recently announced that they were they've discontinued their polio vax vaccine that was produced with aborted fetal cells and their two combination polio vaccines, the Pentacel and Quadracel. Uh, they shifted those over to being uh, using ethical cell lines in their production. So we're thanking them as well. So yeah. the more we get the word out. Uh, yeah. You know, and encourage people to utilize the alternative vaccines in which. The, the, the 2005 statement also said is that we've got an obligation where there are ethical alternatives to use them and where there aren't ethical alternatives to advocate for them. So, so good. Greg Schleppenbach, thank you so much for joining us today. 
My pleasure, Chris. God bless you.